was a day of movement in the standings. Some of these dog and handler teams saw themselves go up in the standings while others went down. Most notably in the amateur division, Casey Parker and Bailey didn't have the greatest series allowing Ron Anderson and Smoke to sneak back into the top three. Mike Gibson and Jeter entered the day in first, but now find themselves a few points behind after series four. In the open division among our pros, Clark Kennington in Series 4 had four dogs and Lyle Steinman two. It's a similar breakdown here in the finals with Clark having two of the three final dogs and Lyle having one. At the end of the day, we'll see which one of these two gentlemen is our crown champion. Championship Day here in Huntsville. Welcome to the Super Retriever Series presented by Yukonuba. I'm Tommy Sanders here in the studio with Chris Aiken. And Chris, we've been through it all. This is the day we've been looking for, the final day of Quake. Time to find out who's going to be the crown champion. All right, guys. That commercial right there is coming from the Super Retriever Series presented by Yukonuba, which, of course, is a sponsor to the podcast. We love them to death. Um, it's time to start gearing up for the Super Retriever Series Championships. This year, it will be in Natchez, Mississippi from September 25th to 29th. What's crazy is it's, it's the largest turnout that we've ever seen. Uh, of course, most of y'all know that follow the podcast. I was there last year. I got invited by Shannon Nardi. Met my buddy uh, Jerry Impervento out there. He took some photos of my crazy looking dog. Um... But there's a total, there's a total, total, total of 64 qualified dogs, 20 more than we had last year, which makes it the largest group ever, the strongest group ever. We've got uh, 32 qualified amateurs. So make sure that you, if you are uh, in the Natchez area, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, if you just feel like making a long trip from the other half of the country, doesn't matter. Make sure you get out here to the Super Retriever Series. I want to thank Shannon Nardi for keeping me updated as well. If you guys need a refresher, also, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. Just go in the search bar and type in Super Retriever Series. You can catch a few episodes there. That clip, like I said, was um, definitely a snippet from the Amazon Prime uh, episode. And I wanted to kind of, you know, go ahead and get this ramped on up. From now throughout September, I am going to be covering some of the pros and amateurs, doing some interviews and, you know, just kind of keeping y'all up to date and up to speed with what these guys are thinking and all the good, the bad, ups and downs that go on with competing dogs. So, thanks again to Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Super Retriever Series, and Miss Shannon Nardi. I'm also hoping I can make it out to the competition on that weekend if I'm not working um you know if i'm not getting off of work too late so check it out amazon prime stay tuned for more from the super retriever series presented by yukonuba
the Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by OnX Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the OnX Hunt app from your phone's app store today and check out onyxmaps.com for more inside Onyx. I also want to bring to you Garmin, Build a better dog with devices for tracking and training, from obedience to hunting, limiting nuisance barking. Get exactly what you need to make a life with your hunting buddy that much better. Go check out the Garmin Pro 550 Plus. That's what we're using on this side of town. And uh, get yourself ready for the hunting season coming up. Don't have your dog running all out there crazy. Get him woke, broken, in collar condition. That's what we are working on now. Go check them out right now at Garmin.com. The Gun Dog Notebook is also brought to you by Dakota 283 Kennels. Check out the new updated price drops on Dakota283Kennels.com. Use the promo code TGDN10 for 10% off at checkout. Also presented to you by Lion Country Supply, the Gun Dog World's premium gun dog supplier. Check them out now. All right, guys, so what I'm bringing to you today on this episode is a little bit more deference. Um, I am interviewing Dr. Emerson Cochran, and in addition to that, his wife was so kind to join us as well. This one was in person, and just a really, 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 just, it was a pleasure and an honor to be able to sit uh, in front of Dr. Cochran and sit in his living room and just soak up all the stories. Now this is another one from a gentleman who was around running bird dogs early, early, early on quail. He's been doing it since about the age of two, um, 1940s, 50s, just on his father, grandfather, they were all in it. Um, formerly owned Cochran Plantation here in LJ, Georgia. Moved around, traveled, but all in all, he is a die-hard quail hunter, and in his words, a hell of a duck hunter. Just stay with me on this episode. There's just so much to learn about Georgia history um, and what it was like back in the day when quail were just everywhere. So, in this episode, you're gonna hear quite a bit of old school training, guys. So just, you know, consider the times. All right. This is another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast featuring guest Dr. Emerson Cochran. Okay. This is another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast. And on, in person, in person, not even on the line. I'm glad to come up here to Kennesaw, Georgia, to talk to Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Cochran. Dr. Cochran is a just, a, as you say, a, a hell of a duck hunter yeah. <laughs> and a quail man, you know, a, a, a true bird dog man, a quail man, a dog man, just everything. And Dr. Cochran has been so gracious to take me around his house show me all of his accomplishments, um, you know, give me some pieces that I'll truly, you know, enjoy and inherit. And now I owe you a, a hunt down in Thomasville. <laughs> <laughs> so Dr. Cochran, Mrs. Cochran, how are you guys? 
Thank you. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so I just I I got so many questions in the last. 15 to 30 minutes that I've been here, but I want to know just from the beginning, um, you know, how did you get into hunting? And, and then you had a Greenwood Bill dog too. So I want to, I want to hear about that as well, but start from the beginning. From the beginning, I moved from Kentucky where my daddy and mother were students at Asbury College, now university. Mm-hmm. And he went to the seminary, and uh, the bishop in Georgia said, if if you want to be in the North Georgia Conference, you got to move to Georgia. Right. So I moved to Georgia in 1936, two years old, to Franklin, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the parsonage had a veranda and I'm begging for a bird dog. Yeah. So he gave me a puppy that was six weeks old. It was a lemon pointer out of the Greenwood Bill line. Wow. And so I was playing on the veranda, and back then they had milk trucks, and the milk was put on the veranda. And I was running up and down the veranda and I crashed into not the bird dog, but the milk ball. <laughs> so I got a scar to show for it. And that's when it all started. That's when it all started. <laughs> and uh, the, the desire to hunt was gotten from my father. And I think when you are interested in nature and hunting, it's gotta be a family thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's been. And the female the women of our family suffer from absence. <laughs> really? <laughs> and my, my first gun my daddy gave me when I was 10 years old was an 870 pump. Just like you got right in there. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my first hunt was across from the Carcade Church in East L.J., Georgia, mm-hmm. in a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And they had a field behind it. And although he didn't believe in hunting on Sunday, he wanted to break me in right. Yeah. So we had the bird dog, Joe which was trained to come back and get you and point the bird. Wow, this was a pointer too. Point, uh, Rima Bill Line. Okay. And his name was Joe. Okay. I never will forget it. I killed 15 birds in two hours. What? 15 birds. I couldn't see 15 birds nowadays. Yeah. So you guys just had birds quite everywhere. everywhere. Wow. And there. And, and what happened, uh, old Georgia Bob White mm-hmm. was bred out by the Mexican quail, and, and they're about a third bigger than the Mexican quail. Right. Mexican quail are beautiful birds, though. Yeah. Beautiful birds. 
So, and then as I went along in my studies, uh, I began to hunt more and go to Stuttgart, Arkansas, the duck hunt, mm-hmm. go to Montana to trout fish, go to uh, South Dakota to Mobridge, South Dakota to pheasant hunt. Oh man! And I killed these feathers and and that snow goose I killed in Stuttgart, Arkansas, at 50 feet in the air with an 870 pump. See, that is beautiful. So just to kind of place the the listeners in where I'm sitting, you've got a pheasant overhead, you've got a number of mouths, a pheasant overhead, a pheasant to my my uh, right, you've got a beautiful white snow goose ahead that is mounted just, you know, just wingspan is just amazing. Um, I'll get photos of it all. You got a hooded merganser, which I've never even seen down here. You know, I, I don't think you get those that far down here in Georgia. No. You know, you gotta go to Stuttgart yeah. to, to see all of this. And that's just really where the bird migration is. You've got California quail in your gun cabinet. <laughs> this is just yeah. beautiful. So, um, you know, Mrs. Cochran, I'm, I'm gonna have to tell my wife, I'm, I'm gonna use y'all as my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fine. <laughs> y'all, this is beautiful, but I don't wanna keep talking too much. I keep going about your story um, because I mean, this history, so, when did uh, around what year, if you can remember, did you start making that transition in traveling after learning how to hunt so so well? After I became a physician, okay, uh, and I graduated from medical school in 1959, mm-hmm. and then I had five years of residency in Jacksonville, Florida. So really, when I came to Marietta, I had a real good friend, A.D. Little who just recently died, come to my daddy in church, uh, so, so, uh, uh, club, mm-hmm. and, and uh, my daddy said to A.D., are you a bird hunter? He said, yeah, I'll kill a bird hunter and I'll meet you in 30 minutes. <laughs> so they went out here on a Dallas Highway, and we killed a limit of quail. But it was not all the development where the avenue is. Right. All of that was quail where the avenue is? Uh, uh, the farm. What was the name of that farm? I don't remember. No. But anyway. But all of that, because that's a big shopping complex. Oh, uh, yes. All that, of that was just farmland. Yes. Farmland. Oh, yes. Wow. This so, area so wasn't mountain. here when we moved here. Right. So this is Kennesaw Mountain area. Kennesaw. Kennesaw. This is the battlefield. Okay. And right. now, was this quail country, too, up here? Mm-hmm. I guess it was just everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because there was nothing here mm-hmm. except grazing land and mm-hmm. bird hunting land. Now, were the farming practices, I know they couldn't have been the same as they do now. They were still burning timber. Yeah. Okay, back then, because this foolishness that they got going on now is just not really good for quail habitat. Mm-mm. What they're doing now is destroy quail hunting, except when there's a place that 
farm for quail. Right. That will eliminate lespidiza, which is a seed that quail love. Mm-hmm. And if you got a farm with a lespidiza pie, you got quail. Right. Okay. Okay. See, I, you wouldn't see any of that nowadays. And I guess the thing about hunting and stuff, like I, I tell anybody, like nowadays, the, the bird dog guys and the bird hunters that I know nowadays, they're going out to Kansas. They're going out to, you know, out west. Yeah. But when you come to Georgia, like there's a history here mm-hmm. that I, I tell anybody, like if you really want to be a quail hunter, you got to come to Georgia and you got to find the birds. They're, they're here. Yeah. You know, I, I got birds last uh, last season, last year. Two beautiful cubbies, you know, but you got to put, you got to work. They're not in abundance anymore, no. you know, but Georgia is just such a, 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 it's almost a sanctuary for anybody that wants to hunt quail. And what happened the wheat was another good mm-hmm. uh, source of seed. Mm-hmm. But they got the wheat in South Georgia got a blight and they poisoned the to save the wheat and kill all the quail. That's in Louisville and Bainbridge. And the best bird hunting in Georgia is in Bainbridge, between Bainbridge and Dothan, Alabama. So I've got a buddy that lives in Dothan. So I want to see if they've got any of the fields out there. Cause you now, do you know where Midway, Alabama, oh, yeah. the Robert Whaley tract, all of that out there? That's where I hunt my quail too. And a good friend, a doctor friend, and her doctor uh, died, and he's from Easton, mm-hmm. Georgia, mm-hmm. and he was a big quail hunter. And I'd like to share with you some of my hunts with my daddy. His name was C.B. Cocker. Okay. And uh, he uh, had trained all the bird dogs that I hunted with. Wow. Till he died in 1987. And then I trained two uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, uh, Ty and Wendy. Okay, and these were still pointers? Pointers. Okay. And uh, we hunted mostly in Louisville and Bainbury. And uh, two hunts I remember. I have a friend that's an orthopedic surgeon here in Marietta begged me to take him bird hunting. Mm-hmm. I said, Paul, have you ever been bird hunting? Yeah. He said, no. But uh, you follow my daddy and the dog instructions. Mm-hmm. So Wendy came back and got us on a cover of bird. And it was a bluff and there was a little creek mm-hmm. and he pointed in the creek and uh, he wouldn't flush the birds until he said, get them. Yeah. 
and Dr. Pine shot the birds off. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I thought my daddy was going to be in a fight with me. I was about to say, that that's the number one rule. <laughs> you can't shoot the dog. <laughs> so, what, I mean, what did he do? He just didn't lift his gun up to his shoulder and just fired on the way up and hit Wendy in the back leg. He limped off and I treated him with some alcohol and he got all right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now that was also a tough dog too. Tough dog. That's a tough dog. <laughs> and the key to the pointer is they can smell. Yes, that's why I got a pointer. So everybody says pointers are just way too high strung and this and that. Well, they're high strung, so you gotta be tough on them. You got to, but that's one of, in my opinion, best bird dog you can get mm-hmm. is a pointer. I don't think your dad ever hunted with anything but a pointer, did he? Yeah, seven, one, one seven. Next best bird dog. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, but you have to be like, so that dog that I got now. Well, I don't have a good dog with German short hair. Yeah, the short tails. So, every, all of my friends know I give all the German short hair people a hard time. I love them. They're really good dogs, though, but they ain't brother, going. Brother, brother and sister. Yeah. Penny and Jenny. <laughs> yeah. They will not lose a bird. They were short hair? Short hair. Yeah, short hairs are good dogs. Yeah. They're good dogs. But another hunting story. Uh-huh. Gannon Lewisland, who still had Wendy, and he came back to get us when we were getting in the truck, mm-hmm. in the Jeep truck. So y'all were about to leave? We were about to leave. Trying to cover a bird, and it was, Sun was already below the horizon. Right. And I said, Daddy, should we shoot these birds? He said, Sure. <laughs> and so we walked up and said, Birds got up everywhere, and 10 birds laid on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> That was the last. They, that was the last sunset. I doubled twice. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was the last sunset they saw. <laughs> That's crazy. But to be able to even see that many birds, yeah. unheard of nowadays. Yeah. That's that's unheard of. Um, you know, I'm a. I'm a big fan of pointers and setters, though. Yeah. I mean, big fan. I get a short hair people a hard time. They got some good dogs, too. <laughs> they got some good dogs. Well, they're over in Oakton, which is a subdivision near the hospital near Kenniston. Uh-huh. And we had a dog pen. We had a two-acre lot. I had a dog pen on the back. Yeah. And all of our neighbors hated that bird dog. <laughs> but when they started barking, oh, I got a dude go to the back up. Shut up! And they shut right on up. Yeah, and they didn't bark again. Yeah, yeah. That's how I got to do nowadays. (laughs) That is how I have to do nowadays. Now, talk about how you guys were training bird dogs, because I'm sure it's different nowadays. How how was your dad training them, like the process? Well, he was very mean. Okay. 
he carried a two-foot garden hose mm -hmm. in his backpack. And the blinkers were beaten by my daddy because when they smelled birds, they could look for him. Really? Because they knew they were going to get whipped. Right. I got on him for doing that, so when I trained, I used the choke collar. Right, which I use now. Yeah. I use the, uh, the leather. My daddy, you have to remember, was one of 13 mm -hmm. living on a big plantation. Mm -hmm. What was the plantation? It was Cochran Plantation. Cochran Plantation, okay, so y'all owned it. Yeah. Okay. My granddaddy did. Okay. My great granddaddy was a doctor. Okay. And he graduated from medical college, Georgia, a okay. hundred years to the year that I did. Really? And he was drafted into the Civil War. And he died six weeks later of massive pneumonia. Really? Before my granddaddy was born. Wow. So y'all go back. Y'all have a long history. Yeah. A hundred years too. That's that's not a coincidence. That meant she was always supposed to be a doctor. Yeah. That is not a coincidence. Well, uh, it's a guard calling. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. And ever since I met you, so how I ended up meeting for the listeners, I met you at Dr. Kafar Gafari's um uh, pain clinic. Pain clinic, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I ended up getting hit in the rear on the way to school and I ended up sitting down talking to you. <laughs> he was popping my knees yeah. with the, and asking me and checking the reflexes. Yeah. Right. And we just got into talking about bird dogs. I mean, and you know, I'm always excited to talk to anybody, but I'm also excited to learn from folks that came way before me. You know, um, but what I like to hear that story about how you guys were training because Things are different now, but if you want to train good dogs, you have to know what came before. Yeah. You well, know? they have to have a little whip in your pack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when they run up birds, you say, no, and strike them on the back. Mm -hmm. And see, we have... And pointer are hard-headed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we have now, instead of the whip, we have electronic collars. That Garmin I was telling you about, that it functions the same way. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's a reminder. Right. Um, now, the pinch collar, or you call it choke collar, now we have what mine looks like is it's a leather belt and it's got studs, metal studs on the inside. You know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Yeah. Yeah. That thing works. For not, it works great because I don't do anything. I just hold it on the rope, and if the dog moves too, you know, if he breaks his point, it pinches him a little bit. And if he doesn't break, it'll let up. If you don't break a point by three months, you might as well sell it. Oh yeah. See, that was that's the thing that I have to tell people. You got as soon as you get that dog, because they already have everything in them that yeah. they need you gotta start working with Ace. I, I started working my dog at seven weeks old. Mm. I started working on him at seven weeks old and he, that photo I showed you, that's seven weeks old, he's six months now. Mm. And I mean, I put him on birds at three months, went down to uh, uh, Tuskegee mm. with a buddy of mine, we set some quail out and that little pointer Running up and down the field, 60, 70 yards, three months old. 
pointing, you know, pointing birds. I was letting him flush him, of course, because he's still a baby. But you gotta, like you said, if you don't, if you don't start working on birds. Well, uh, cane pole mm-hmm. uh, and a feather. I use a, a the cane pole fishing line, and I took a quail feather mm. and just let them let them point it. Mm. And build up that drive. So y'all been doing a cane pole for a long time. Long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, when my daddy retired, retired from the ministry, he had forty acres of prime land mm-hmm. in Covington on Hazel Brown Road, and uh, it's now the Georgia Wildlife. Mm-hmm. And we, we own 92 acres adjacent to it. It had Cornish Creek and uh, all the deer and, and in, anyway, uh, my, my daddy uh, died there. Really? And it was a good escape. But my mother didn't like it because it was on dirt road and I had to call me long distance. Really? So there was no reception out there? No. Wow. So y'all sold it? Sold it to the wildlife. And then we gave our 92 acres for first to first Methodist to build a family life hall. Nice. And uh, then they sold it. Mm-hmm. Georgia Wildlife. So now it's a model for hunting and education and hunting. Really? So y'all go see it. Oh, I'm definitely going to go see it. I'm going to have to take you back there with me too. Well, okay. I'm going to have to carry you. So I, I got a lot of road trips going on with you guys. <laughs> I, well, I, I appreciate it. Well, the thing is, I have a lot to learn here. You know, I am, I'm soaking it all in. <laughs> I'm soaking it all. So, you know, what is it like not only growing up in in hunting, especially bird hunting, and then passing on that tradition to your sons? How was that growing up? Pass it on to both sons. Yeah, yeah. And they pass it on to their sons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The youngest one has got two boys, age 23 yeah. and 20. And my oldest son had one son, and he is an engineer. And he's now quit his job with Rubbermaid and doing <clears throat> a PhD in robotics. Wow. And he's invented an apparatus <clears throat> that will fill your car without touching it. Really? So Ford bought it and they gave him a $75,000 bonus for inventing it. That is wild. All of y'all are just brilliant. <laughs> well, it's a family yeah. thing. Right. Everybody supports everybody else yeah. in yeah. the family, encourages and and uh, helps things happen. Right, and and that's the way it should be. And it's it's great to see that in the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, are they still down here in the south? Mm-hmm. I live in the subway. Oh, <laughs> so y'all right next door? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. 
So and my grandson lived in Narcon. Right up the street? Well, more or less. I mean, close enough. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And, and he has a great grandbaby, Nora. And she's two and a half, and her thing is saying, no, no. <laughs> well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Which means she's unheard that a lot. <laughs> right. Well, okay. So speaking of your son, you gave me you gave me a number of things, but I want to talk about the mounts that you gave me. You gave me a quail mount with a hen and a, and a rooster quail, mm. and you gave me a deer mount. Mm. Talk about those, because I, I I can't thank you enough for that. And your son shot the deer mount. Mm. Talk about that one. Well, it was hunting down in McDuffie County, mm-hmm. and uh, I was with him, and uh, there were deer using a peanut field, mm-hmm. and uh, we were using a collar and said, they're coming. And so one came by, mm-hmm. he said, there's a big one coming. And he killed him at 50 yards. Wow. Okay. With a 30-30? With a 30-30. God dang, 30-30. Yeah. <laughs> and then the quail came from LJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's an old mound. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's, I mean, that's at the beginning of LJ's, you know, where it seemed to all started. I mean, that's a big part of your history. Yeah, yeah it is. I'm, I moved there in 1942 and moved away in 48, and I was the meanest boy in town. I believe it. When LJ is so, so much different. They expected the preacher's son to be perfect. So I drank moonshine, smoked cigarettes, wanted to pick got my ass beat every Saturday because I won everybody's money in the pool hall. <laughs> oh, wow. So you was the man around town. <laughs> and, so, and she married me. Well, I, you know, I think you blessed it. Look, I... I was the same thing when my wife met. Well, I met my wife when I was twelve at Woodward Cat. Yeah, I met her when I was twelve at Woodward. I liked her back then, but that's, that's great. I pre- I mean, <laughs> we were friends. I liked her, but I wasn't stupid enough to tell her that back then. <laughs> no. And uh, I, I was a, a nutcase. Okay, and uh, like you say, I drank moonshine too. <laughs> <laughs> I get my granddaddy's moonshine and go to town, on yeah. and. Uh, you know, I had some cigars and stuff, and I was just just running around and being. I'm old camel cigarette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. I had my thing was cigars, and I liked Honduran cigars. That was my. And thing. that's what her parents read. <laughs> read tobacco for. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> we were at, in Kentucky. Uh huh. In Bourbon County, Kentucky. Okay. I grew up. And I remember rescue at first and still. I'm saying, so you just, you might have been the bad. 
that, that's an old wives' tale. That is not so. <laughs> Bourbon County was named for the French yeah. government in in uh, appreciation <laughs> for, the, for the Revolutionary War. In case you two need some history. Yeah. So. No, I appreciate it. I'm gonna still blame you though. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, well, that, that is it cool. makes a good story though. It, the, the bourbon and the county and mm-hmm. the, the first brewing. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm now. I'm a big bourbon fanatic. <laughs> she loves bourbon. I like vodka. Really? I, vodka knocks me out. It knocks me clean. The bourbon is so smooth. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You like wild turkey. Wild turkey good. <laughs> wild turkey one hundred and one. <laughs> now I, uh, but I, my my favorite bourbon and moonshine. I can get something. I like moonshine out the bathtub too. Okay, <laughs> like I like it where well, you got to go and find it, and yeah. you got to meet the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, not the. Well, let me tell you what we did in Mexico. Uh huh. We had rice we got the five kinds in Mexico, and we had a rice where we made pur- purple. We call it purple passion punch in the bathtub. <laughs> And all the guys from we stole grain alcohol from a night lab and put grape juice in it and we'd tell the guys coming in from Georgia and uh-huh. Tennessee and whatever. Now you be careful. Don't drink more than a half a cup at once. Right. Well every single time we'd have four or five we had to put to bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Knocked out because they drank too much. Too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what it'll do. <laughs> that is funny. I am, I'm having a good time. Now, I want to transition a little bit now. You worked on John Glenn, the astronaut, mm-hmm. moon lander and everything, mm-hmm. twice. When he went the first time and the second time. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. That's why. Well, and, and Mexico. You got the choice of what branch of the service you went into, and so I chose the Navy. Because back in his time, you had, they had to serve all the young men. Mm-hmm. When you turned 18, you registered for the draft, right? and you would have to serve two years mm-hmm. at some time. Uh, they don't do that now. They don't do that, that anymore. Okay, so it was non-negotiable. Right, uh, exactly. Non-negotiable. Gotcha. Uh, and so the idea was that I would finish my surgical training mm-hmm. before they call me up. Well, the Cuban crisis came along mm-hmm. and they called me up. <laughs> So they say report to Bethesda, Maryland in 24 hours. Right, right. So they put me on a carrier of the USS Randolph CVS 15 Mm -hmm. as a surgeon for the fleet, partially trained. And since the missiles turned around, they assigned me to NASA to recover the first Mercury astronaut. So John Glenn was the first to orbit the Earth three times. And we waited and we waited in St. Thomas while she froze to death in Norfolk. With two children. 
Two mm-hmm. kids, mm-hmm. your oldest son, or your two sons? No, my oldest the, and, the, and oh. the oldest daughter. Okay, okay, okay. And so finally it went off. And my roommate was Dennis and two pops in the other room. And they were the primary helicopter to recover the mercury capsule. So when he circled the earth three times, and I had a heat shield to keep from burning up, but it didn't jettison. Hmm. And his fever went to 103. We thought it was going to burn up. So he hit the Noah, the, our destroyer. Right. And literally the capsule boiled the sea. What? And they finally got him aboard. And so they flew him by helicopter over to me. Uh, my instructions was not say a word. Mm-hmm. So I took his blood pressure, which was 180 over 120. What? His temperature was 101. And he was sweating profusely and he was confused. After I did an EKG and it didn't show any findings. So after about 50 minutes, I said, John, did you think you're going to burn up? He said, no, Doc, but this space is pretty magenta off. <laughs> that is what he was worried about. <laughs> that is wild. And then we lived in Oakland. And they came in interview. I didn't actually see John then, but he interviewed me. Yeah. In my living room, and that's what that paper was. Yeah. And they honored me in Augusta. That's crazy. I never thought I would meet anybody with that type of history. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to know John Glenn and all of his contributions, mm-hmm. and you were the man responsible for it. <laughs> <laughs> and making sure you don't burn up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so really, you know, you are the reason he was able to get back up there. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I mean, and, and you know, I'm. Can you put that on your resume? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, man. Yeah. In fact, my pastor this morning found out about my my uh, history, and she said. I didn't know you were so famous. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, so now we got the title. We got, you know, quail hunter, duck hunter, dog man, now NASA, NASA hero. <laughs> of all of that, though, I imagine he likes the quail hunting best. The best. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's the best part about it, though, is to be able to share those stories. And you just never know who you're going to have a chance to sit down with. I mean, it just took for us to be talking in the office. And now I'm here and I would have never known that, you know, and, and just to sit here to be able to soak all of that up, that that's going to be great. <laughs> Hang on one second. 
All right, so in addition to listening to Dr. Cochran's amazing quail stories, I will be taking him down to some of my quail spots. I'm gonna show him using the Onyx Hunt app. You can do the same thing, go mark your spots, locations, take a friend and share those waypoints. Download the app, and once you download that app, go in and go to the promo code, type in GDN20 for 20% off an Onyx subscription. So, what would you say for anybody that, you know, for the new guys that want to come into to bird hunting and running bird dogs and how does any, how did you guys even go about picking your dogs back then? Because the history shows you guys had pointers and setters. It wasn't a whole lot of different breeds back then, if I'm correct me if I'm Well, wrong. the most important thing is the bloodline. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was in the hospital, I worked for a veterinarian, and he had the bloodline of Greenwood Bill. <laughs> and, and you look at the pedigree. Mm-hmm. You gotta have, you gotta be classes of winning a shooting contest or a field trial. Right. You gotta have a straight up tail. Right, 12 o'clock. Uh, and uh, yeah, and uh, high head. Yeah. You can't, you can't, even though you smell, you can't be neutral between your legs. Right, right. So the pedigree is very important. Mm-hmm. And, and learning and reading about training, mm-hmm. and I get a, a gunshot dog, because that's the most common thing that happens. Yep. And most people don't realize that. And you hunt three or four times before you fire a gun over them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in being a bird hunter, you you, know, you can find places to hunt, mm-hmm. but you gotta have a good dog. Gotta have a good dog. Now, did you have any favorite trainers back then, aside from your dad? <laughs> did you know any of any field trial guys or anything that you liked? No. Okay, so y'all were, you know, you guys were just learning experience. There was no internet, there was no, no. none of that, which is, which is great. That's honestly how I prefer. I like to read a book before I go to the internet for anything. Yeah, you me know? too, I'm internet poor. <laughs> internet poor, I'm gonna take that one. I mean, but there's just so much good information out there. And it just seems like there's not enough emphasis on bloodlines, right? And I didn't notice when I got my first dog, my lab, you know, it's a great dog. We have a lab too. Yeah, I want, I'm gonna get there too, because I want to hear about that. But my first lab. She interviewed her. She know all about them. No, I don't know. I don't know. I just know I love the dog. The dog? You lab or pointer? You lab or pointer? Uh, la- uh, uh, the lab. You the like last lab we had. Josh. Really? Josh. Talk about Josh for me. Josh was a man's dog. Okay. Particularly a female. Really? And he was the best retriever that I owned. Okay. And I owned a lot of retrievers. And he was inside, outside dog. But when I was not home, 
put out of the way a lot being a surgeon. Josh will protect her and the family. Mm-hmm. And I owned an airplane, and I owned it with a urologist, and we had a GPS together. Mm-hmm. So I had the GPS, and he wanted to go on a trip. So I was not, I happened to be home for lunch. Mm-hmm. And the back door was open, and Josh was in the bathroom. <laughs> and he cracked the door, and Josh jumped him. Really? If I hadn't been there, you know, tell him what would have happened. Josh wasn't going to have it. He sound, Josh sounded like my Ruger now, my my uh, yellow black. Now was Josh yellow black? Black. black. He was black. Okay, okay. Yeah, he sounds so. When I leave, Ruger's actually my loudest dog. Yeah. My pointer's kind of he's quite a bark when he needs mm-hmm. to, but my lab is on it. If I leave, oh, he is around my wife like a like a guard. That's the way Josh was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He laid in the kitchen where I always where I was. And I would have to step over him yeah. because he was right. And when I would move somewhere else, here came Josh. Right. And he's not going to let you out of sight. <laughs> you know, I'm a pointer man deep down, <laughs> but I can always appreciate a lab. They're multi-purpose, well, versatile yes. dogs. Yes. The other thing I would advise when you have a bird dog, don't make him a pet. Oh, yeah. Nope. That's one of the reasons why I moved my dogs outside. Yeah. And I, that's why I like the lab. Mm-hmm. Because it was, he was a pet as well as a hunter. Right. right. But he liked, he hunted mostly mm-hmm. with the pointers. Yep. I, uh, now, did you, so you have the pointer and the lab at the same time? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, I have three pointers, mm-hmm. a retriever, Beauty, which was a black pointer. Okay. Didn't miss a bird. Really? Yeah. So now, did you hunt them all together or no. you hunted them separate? Hunt them double beauty and tie. Okay. And with, and you, but you didn't use the retriever to flush. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was just a duck dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, and that was something that you, you see guys trying to do that nowadays. And it looks cool, but I'm like you. I decided I wasn't going to hunt mine together. Yeah. Well, you know, now I hunt with my lab, and I'll show them to you when we get done, but with my lab, I hunt everything with him. So I, I used him as an upland dog before I got my pointer. Now, because I have my pointer, I don't I don't need to use him on quail and stuff, but he's ducks. I squirrel hunt. <laughs> He'll go pick my squirrels out the bush. Um, I have a squirrel right here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, they but, eat all the bird food. Of course they do. The little thieves, and that's why I shoot them. <laughs> so I, I, if I want to do like any kind of hunting, I can. I know I can always take my lab. But the pointer is just a specialist. You know, that is my bird dog. You know, when it's quail with anything like yeah. that. Um, but I've always said, I'm always going to have a lab and I'm always going to have a point. Always, you know, um, and they're just really good dogs. And, it, and I like the way other dogs look, but I'm from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to have pointers in my style. Yeah. So you had, so you had a whole kennel. Now, 
also wanted to make my pointer an inside dog. Didn't work. Mm-hmm. It just they're just not that type, and they, and they can be. I know people that have, but I like what it does to my dogs' minds when they live outside. Mm-hmm. All they want to do is hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll come and get petted for a little bit. But if I let my pointer go, he's 140 yards that way in no time. And that's how I like to be. Now, what what did you guys expect out of your pointers when you hunted them as far as range? Did you like them to range far? We hunted them on the bell. Okay. Okay. When the bell quit, go get them. Right. Now, were they further out or were they closer? Well, the pawn was further out and the retriever closer. Okay. Okay. I, and since we had a blanker, we had no problem, but it's just fortunate we had three blankers in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Really? Joe, Wendy, and Ty. Mm-hmm. And so they, and they would spread out yeah. and quarter, you know, all along. Okay. Yeah. Then if you hunted them in pairs, like they chase each other. Right. Now, did they honor? So when one went on point, the other one would stop, or or how did that work? Come within two feet of each other. Okay. Okay. Cool. Now, and all of that was natural ability. You uh, guys, you guys were just hunting them. Uh huh. Okay. That's just natural ability. They developed a personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 usually, the pointer will be the lead dog, mm-hmm. and, and the retriever will be ready to retrieve. Right, but he only retrieved when you told him to. Yeah. Right. Only okay. for man. Wow, that's some really really good dog work. Now, you know, you guys had more opportunities. So when they were young pups, you just pretty much put them in a field. Did y'all keep? birds too or you just let them go in the field and let them learn let them learn okay okay see now it's different because I've got to keep birds um like I keep quail and I keep pigeons and you buy quail I I buy them for training Mm. during the off season Mm -hmm. and then when the season comes I take them out you know to wild bird country and let them learn because it's not that many quail here yeah. So you, I take them out to a field, let them flush and stuff like that, and let them learn how to point. And then I put my dog on a barrel. Mm-hmm. And just what I showed you in the dog stands, and he mm-hmm. kind of learns to stop and things like that. Um, and then this season, come November, I mean, it's game time. And whatever we didn't do over the summer, <laughs> we just going to have to learn out there. And, and, and over time, he'll get his exposure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm also learning from a lot of the black dog handlers down in, in Thomasville. So on uh, St. Cola Plantation, mm-hmm. um, a good buddy of mine, Neil Carter, has shown me a lot. You know, he's a world-class bird dog man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's taught me a lot about how they raise dogs on plantation. Maybe you can tell him to buy my shotgun. Maybe so. <laughs> Maybe so. But no, I don't think I want to do that because I want to buy it from you. I just need to find a reason to get my wife to let me do it. <laughs> Matter of fact, I like that gun in there. So you got that Beretta. That was a uh, 
National Wild Turkey Federation um, gift, you got that from where? From Ducks Unlimited. Ducks Unlimited. Okay, cool. Um, and I mean, you were hunting, and you had never shot that gun before. No. Man, you got you got better willpower than I do. You got better willpower. Now you. Oh, speaking of guns, you told me. Your favorite quail gun, correct me if I'm wrong, was a Brown and A5. Right. Talk about that gun. Like, where, where is it now? It was given to my grandson. Lucky. <laughs> Lucky. Great gun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a 12. Okay. And then as I got older, I got 16, mm-hmm. 316. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, and my daddy shot a brownie. But he had one of those aluminum guns. Really? Yeah, it was light. Yeah. And he ended up, up almost till he died. Really? Yeah. So there were, y'all had aluminum guns back then. Yeah. And because I thought all the guns then were just wood and steel. Aluminum. Okay. Aluminum barrel, chamber, and uh, wood. Man, okay, that's cool. And my son's got that gun. So those guns are just... just And my son's got an SKB. Really? Yeah. How does he like shooting that one? Great. Yeah. He used a pheasant. So that's actually a good gun because pheasants, I chased some out in Kansas and I shot one and that bad boy kept moving. Yeah. You gotta have something with some knockdown power. Yeah, I have extra full show. And back then, you couldn't use steel shot. Mm-hmm. But when I first started duck hunting, you could use steel shot. Right. But they outlawed it. Yeah, you, they did now. And business shot. Mm-hmm. Don't kill anything. People try to use it now, and it's hard enough to knock stuff down with steel. <laughs> Bismuth, I'm, people use it, but you know, lead is always the best way to go, but then people are concerned about it getting in the yeah. water and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, now talk about some of your duck hunts. You know, that you you said you a duck man. Oh man. <laughs> well, duck guy Arkansas. Knows who the, the Cochran's are, but uh, we had a lot of friends that uh, loved duck hunting, so that's the reason I like duck hunting. Mm-hmm. And not many friends like quail hunting because it's demanding, mm-hmm. you have to walk a lot. And now at 85, I'm, I'm, one of my main problems is walking. Right. Right. So that's well, you gotta you you got to uh you gotta walk with me a little bit. Uh-huh. Or we'll get we'll get you a way around, but you gotta go out there with me. <laughs> we we gotta get you around out there. Um and that's where you got that hood and merganser. Yeah. Okay. You remember that hunt? Yeah, I remember that hunt. We got up at six thirty when we sunrise, mm-hmm. and a flock came in. And I killed two, and one was a hen, and the other was a hood. Mm-hmm. I've been in Yucatan, Mexico too, and 
all you killed down there usually is killed. Yeah. I ride in the canoe with my best friend. I said, now, I was in the front and he was in the back. I said, now, when the next one's coming, you take the front one and I'll take the back one. Well, they flew by and we didn't get either one of them. We shot behind them. (laughs) (laughs) So it didn't matter. Wow, okay. So we, we had a group, how many was it, 13 of us went on that trip? Yep. Uh-huh. We had a ball. Really? We drank pretty heavy then. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you, you know, you got to do that at the end of the You got to. You got to. We never got drunk. Man, all right. So, Miss Cochran, we were talking about this new generation stuff like that what would you say in raising and raising a family how do you think that hunting has impacted your family and, and and how do you think folks can benefit from it nowadays well i think it, it with our boys mm-hmm. uh it they did it together mm-hmm. it was a together thing and i think that's extremely important mm-hmm. for uh, no matter what activity is it is i think you need that connection with the father and the sons and now some of the girls not our girls but they were not interested but we have a granddaughter that likes to shoot Mm -hmm. and she goes when she comes from down she they go out to shoot to a shooting range they live in kentucky and so it's i think family activities like that whatever it is Mm -hmm. are essential to raise a a a family that is aware of the problems in the world and things that go around them and what they can do to help other things and i think you just that has to be a part of they're growing up. They got to have a responsibility. It might be taking care of a bird dog mm-hmm. you're responsible for. Yeah. You've got to be responsible for keeping your gun clean. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things, it, it teaches them responsibility. Right. If right. you're going to go out and have fun, great. But you've got to do these things in order to have a successful trip. Right. right. I totally uh, agree. Yeah. I was 21st of being married, 63 years. Congratulations! Uh, and people ask me, how in the world do you have a long marriage? Mm-hmm. Don't go to bed mad. Absolutely. And don't discipline your children in front of your children. Mm-hmm. Go behind a cold door and work it out and then tell them what the verdict is. Right, and, and okay. I'm gonna take that. My wife and I just got married last October. Oh, yeah. So I needed to hear that. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And she has to know that she's in charge. She already knows. She already knows that. (laughs) She told me that she was in charge. That's that's good. How do you like Kiana? How do you like Kiana in the office? She is Kiana now. Remind me who that one is, because I know faces are not named. She was in charge of physical therapy. In the front 
Back. In the back. Younger black girl. Mm-hmm. She's cool. She's real nice. I like think of William. She got two children. Yeah, I know. Okay, yeah, she's nice. Yeah. She's real nice. Alice's got good girl. Really? Really? I, uh, I, I chat with them every so often when we can, because most of the time I'm with Delano. Mm. Um, but Kiana, she's real cool. Actually, everybody in that office has been really yeah. nice, though. Yeah. You know, and y'all got my back fixed up real good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually really appreciate everything that you guys have done, um, you know, for me. And all of that even led me here, so. <laughs> We're glad it did. Yes, ma'am. I yes. think again, it's a God thing. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So that's kind of one thing that I've had to learn also um, is having that strong faith, you know, and having some direction. You know, if you don't have that, you're not putting yourself around good people it's going to all fall apart. Yeah, yeah. yes. Sorry. You got to have a faith. You got to have a faith, strong faith in God. I've been I've been the most praying person. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for good reason. But in the last two years, and it was my wife that told me, look, you know, this is how to be a good example or a good disciple. Mm-hmm. And I think she is. Mm-hmm. She's got a real strong faith. And I've learned a lot from her. Good. You know. Listen to her. And I'm serious about that. Because, you know, we are kind of in the background, wives are. Mm-hmm. But we're pretty much responsible for directing everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're a strong Christian. You should, we we got to be. All of us have to be. You know, and that's no shade on anybody else's beliefs. But no. from the way I grew up, my grandmother was a strong Christian. My granddaddy is now still. Mm. You know, you guys are my wife. Me, her family, it all. You gotta have that that strength. Gotta have that strength and have have that backbone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I and I think when you have that type of relationship with God and everybody else, you know, around you has that relationship. I think it really does lead you in very good directions. Definitely. You know, I, I. Without sounding too preachy, you know, my pastor, uh, Reverend Kimbrough, has taught me a ton. Mm -hmm. He was the one that married, you know, myself and my wife. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try to talk to him as much as I can and be totally honest. Mm -hmm. And he's given me some really, really good Mm -hmm. insights, you know, and really made my biblical study make more sense. Mm -hmm. Of course. You know, um, and in regards to hunting, I think that goes hand in hand with a lot of biblical study. That's why you hear uh, all of the hunters that I've met have been very strong Christians. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I mm-hmm. think that there is a relationship between people who understand the power of a higher being and something outside of yourself yeah. mm-hmm. and the relationship that we have with nature. Exactly. You know, it's about hunters tend to want to preserve Mm -hmm. the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Don't want to see it all crashed Mm -hmm. and moved. And I, I think hunters have the biggest influence on that Mm -hmm. because they see nature destroyed and 
People don't care. And, and then we don't have anything else. Mm-mm. And you don't have anything to live for the next Mm-mm. day. Mm-mm. You know, I'm teaching at Westminster now. Um, and it's an awesome job, you know. And I think that comes from me having a faith and continuing to push on mm-hmm. and trying to do the right thing with the world. Right, exactly. You know, my passion is hunting and, and doing this podcast and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's all coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. You know Marilyn Asham? He's too young to know Marilyn. She taught Westminster Bible. Oh, did she? Many years ago. She's my age now. Okay. Uh, but I, so I guess she, it was been, it's been 30 years okay. since she taught since there. Since she was there. Uh-huh. Okay. So my mother-in-law went to Westminster in 1977. Mm-hmm. So she didn't know Marilyn. She, she yeah, know. I'm gonna ask her. I'm Marilyn Acham, she's the widow of the mayor of Marietta. Really? Huh. She's a gambler. Really? <laughs> she's, she's, she's a gambler. Well, I mean, you can do that when you married to the mayor. <laughs> you can do that. Well, I, you know. What I'm, are you teaching? I'm teaching art. Oh. That's why I love all y'all's paintings oh, around here yeah. so much. I am an artist, um, traditional painter, and then I have oh. abstract paintings. Great. Um, I'm actually represented by the Bill Lowe Gallery in Buckhead. Oh, okay. So I've got work there. I'll have to show you guys all that stuff. Well, I'd love to see it. And, and, you know, if, if you need paintings and stuff, you know where to look to. <laughs> At our age, we don't need anything else well, in the house. True, true. But I, 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 I like that. I think yeah. that's great. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I... Um, I mean, I just think it's it's awesome. Now, my last question before we wrap up to you, Miss Cochran, mm-hmm. did you? Because obviously, you went with Dr. Cochran on a couple of hunts or a few hunts. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything that you just really were inclined to do? For any favors? Uh, no, the thing that I enjoyed most was seeing the dog's point. Okay. The okay. point was the prettiest. And she had from Medivh. And okay, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. the way to do it. Okay. It's quite an experience. Uh-huh. And she loves feather hunting. Really? Oh, I walked. <laughs> <laughs> walked down the cornrows. <laughs> Being a country girl. Yeah. To drive the birds down the rows, and then they were standing, yeah, resting while the birds came, the well, a pheasant came, and when they'd get to the end of the corn row, then they could shoot. Yeah. Okay. All right. That was my job. Just to just hang out. <laughs> yeah. Hanging out. Well, I mean, the driver. driver. I was a driver. All right. Well, <laughs> and, but like you said, everybody has a has a part. Exactly. And that's the best part about it. Yeah. You know, I uh, my wife goes with me, and she doesn't want to shoot a bird at all, no. but she takes a lot of photographs. She likes watching the dogs as well, mm-hmm. and that's really the best part of it. Yeah. And yeah. I don't like the noise of the gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's. Yeah, I. That's what she says. She's just like, eh, no. I like all of that. No, 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 no. But the the best part of it, if I don't, you know, I tell people if I don't shoot another bird again, I can just watch my dogs, you know, do their job. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the end of the podcast, and I I've run out of questions that I could think of, but I can't thank y'all enough for even having me. Oh, we're happy to have. You. <laughs> Anytime. Well, make sure you go out to dinner. 
oh yeah, we gotta go out to dinner. I wanna um I wanna definitely get my wife up here and, and introduce well, she knows you, but I want you to be here. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> so let's go out to dinner. Let's let's set that up sometime. You know, okay. well, imagine my Casa Grande. Uh, no, it's, on on an action. We can find it, but I'm not. It's familiar. not very far from his from their office. Okay, you want to go? It's there? on the east yeah. west connector. Okay, well, 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 right before you get you get you know about the bank coming toward me. Yeah, it's there where the picture show is. Mm-hmm. It's in the corner. Costa Grande. Costa Grande. The best Mexican restaurant I've ever eaten. Okay. Well, then we we, we got a date then. How about that? Okay. I, and I got it recorded too, so yeah. we got to go out there. <laughs> <laughs> so we, now, now, now y'all stuck with me. Yeah. And I would just hate that. <laughs> she loves to eat out. Well, I, um, you know, I uh, definitely appreciate it. And that's another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast with. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cochran, and uh, we will catch y'all next week. Again, guys, I'd like to thank all my sponsors and affiliates from Onyx Maps, our title sponsor, to You Can Do the Sporting Dog, to Garmin, Fish and Hunt, um, for, to Dakota 283 Kennels, to Lion Country Supply, and everybody else that has been supporting the podcast since day one. Thanks again to Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective.